You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. Now here's a bit of Bible trivia for you. What does the book of Galatians and a former French president have in common? Got you stumped? Well, I would have been stumped too if I hadn't done the, the research. It seems that the, the region of Galatia in the first century occupied a fairly big area, which we would know today as uh, Turkey. Okay. But it seems like in that early part of in the first century, many from Galatia, for various reasons, depending on which source you look at, moved from there across the empire and established themselves in a part of the world that we know now as France but which in those days was known as, because of, the, because of the coming of the Galatians, became known as Gaul, G-A-U-L. And so between the years of 1959 and 1969, France had a president called Charles de Gaulle, and his surname could be traced back to his heritage in Gaul, which came kind of from the Galatians. It's, it's a very loose link, I'll grant you that, but I thought it would at least maybe you know, just get your attention for a moment. Uh, but it does highlight something. It highlights the fact that when Paul wrote his book to the Galatians, his letter to the Galatians, that, church, that, that group of churches was made up largely of Gentile people. It, it was a, a, you know, primarily a Gentile region. Uh, but there were some Jewish people within those congregations, and therein lay the problem. Because as was the case with so many of, of the churches Paul established, there were those who thought that the, you had to modify the Christian faith, include some of the old Jewish elements to make it all really work. So there was a clash of theological viewpoints. Look at this. There was a clash of theological viewpoints between those embracing the faith for the first time and the members of the long-established Jewish religion. And we can kind of understand it. I mean, the Jewish faith had been going for centuries. And the message of Jesus was all new. And they, they naturally felt, look, you know, it couldn't be all gone, surely. Let's include some of the laws and some of the rites and rituals, including circumcision. Now, here's the thing. Devotion, dedication, diligence in the Jewish faith was all about adherence to the law. That was where it began and ended. Strict adherence to the law. And this is where the theological clash was taking place between these two groups because Paul was teaching that salvation comes through faith alone. It is purely a matter of God's grace. It is not dependent on obedience to the law. Now, by way of review, look at some of the great passages that Paul stated on this. Romans 6, 14, we do not live under the law, but under God's grace. You can't get it any clearer than that. Romans 7, 6, no longer do we serve in the, in the old way of, the, of a written law, but in the new way... Of the Spirit. Now it's clear from Galatians there were people, members of these Galatian churches, who were hell bent, you can't put it any other way, hell bent on a distorted view of the gospel, including some of these, these uh, sort of aspects of the Jewish faith. And that's why some of his strongest words ever expressed in any of his letters are in Galatians. And one of the things I hope will come out of this little series will be that you'll get into the book of Galatians and rediscover its rich truths for yourself. Look at some of Paul's rebukes. Chapter 1, verse 6. He says, I'm surprised at you. In no time at all, you are deserting the one who called you and you're accepting 
another gospel. And then in verse, uh, in verse 7, look at this, verse 7, he says, Actually, there is no other gospel, but I say this because there are some people who are upsetting you and trying to change the gospel of Christ. Have a look at, uh, at chapter 3, verse 1. He says, You foolish Galatians, pretty strong, who put a spell on you. Before your very eyes, you had a clear description of the death of Jesus on the cross. And then in verses 2 and 3, he says, Tell me this one thing. Did you receive God's Spirit by doing what the law requires? Or by hearing the gospel and believing it? Which was it? How can you be so foolish? You began by God's Spirit. Do you now want to finish by your own power? Kind of getting right into it. He was, he's pretty fired up. And as if he hasn't been upset enough, Paul uses the second last verse of the entire book to drive his indignation home even further. Just one more time. Look at chapter 6, verse 17. I really love this. This is a preacher who's having a bad day. He says, to conclude, not me, him. Uh, he says, to conclude, let no one give me any more trouble. Because the scars I have on my body show that I'm a slave of Jesus. In other words, you know, like, don't mess me around anymore. Don't, don't keep beating up on me. I've got enough scars already from being an apostle. I expect you Galatians to behave yourselves and get back on track. So it's, it's very full on. And all men of, and women of God have days like that. But Paul actually states it, you know, including that no one give me any more trouble. So, Graham, how'd like being in that elders meeting, hey? You know, just, just getting, laying it out. Well, here it is. Here's the thing. We've entitled this series Galatians 2013 because I tell you what, the contents of this book are as up-to-date for you and me as they were for these people of Galatia, who many of whom later went and settled in Gaul. Now, it's as up-to-date for us as it was for them. Oh, we, 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 may not have, we may not have Jewish sex trying to infiltrate the teaching here. Uh, some of the specific issues are different, I'll grant you that. But, you know, there's always been a form of Christianity around, always, with the emphasis on, it's all a matter of what you do. It's how you do life. It's, it emphasizes the belief that being a good Christian is about behaving in a certain way. It's about trying hard to maintain certain moral and, and ethical codes. And look, while these things are for sure indicators, they are indicators of the strength of one's faith in Christ. Absolutely. But they do not represent the central component of Christianity. They do not represent the essential core of God's plan of salvation. And look, guys, it's in this area of doctrine and theology that we'd better get it right. We really need to get this very clear in our minds. Otherwise, the Christian life can become a very frustrating and a very legalistic form of religion with very little, if any, joy and purpose and meaning. Nothing like the experience God intends us to have because you're always beating yourself up because you're never maintaining the standard. And some of you have come through, have come through this. You see, the Pharisees of Jesus' day, let's, let's be honest, they were upright people. They were good people. They were, most of them were very moral people. They were God-fearing people. But there wasn't a lot of joy, very judgmental, very holier than thou, very guilt-ridden. And of course, constantly in conflict with Jesus because he made it clear from the beginning that being saved was not about external appearance. It was about inner conviction. And there's a huge difference. 
inner transformation. That's why the Bible says the common people heard him gladly. Of course. Because he was pointing them in a direction that they could relate to. Come to me all who are tired from carrying heavy loads of the law and guilt and pain. Come to me and I'll give you rest. Jesus talked about relationships, about trust, about faith, about surrender. Paul put it this way, and this comes directly out of Galatians 2.20. Look at this. I've been put to death with Christ on his cross so that it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Now, guys, let's just pause for a moment. Let's just press pause for a moment and think about the impact of this verse on the original hearers. It's always a good place to start in in Bible study. Just pause and think about the impact of this verse on the original hearers. First of all, it's being read aloud. Okay? All of Paul's letters would have been read aloud in the congregation. They didn't have their own copy in their equivalent of the Northside News. Like, say, so you go home and read it at home. Uh, that facility was not available. So somebody would have got up and read this out in front of the congregation. The bulk of the hearers were coming from a pagan background. And for them, the cross was a symbol of shame. It was a symbol of guilt. It was a symbol of disgrace. And yet Paul is saying he has been figuratively crucified with Christ on the cross. He's saying that, that that's the key to really knowing Jesus Christ. It's not about shame. It's about surrender. This would have been quite confronting for them. This is so critical. You know, I've come from a background, as many of you have, in my early years. We... we with beautiful salt-of-the-earth Christian people who thought that being crucified with Christ meant that you didn't drink, didn't smoke, didn't swear. And in my context, out in the western suburbs, you couldn't go to the Bankstown bars on Sunday. And, uh, and you couldn't watch television on Sunday. Thankfully, mercifully, my father never imposed that one. But, like, there was a whole... And this was just like, along with you know, attending church and reading the Bible, attending church up to three times a day, by the, by the way. I mean, that was a big part of my background of knowing and understand. It was about this, keeping this rule, this rule, this rule, this rule. Beautiful people, God-fearing people. Thank, I thank God for the people who influenced my life in those days. But I also thank God for the, for the people who influenced me as I journeyed along and helped me to see that that was not where it was at. In other words, strict obedience to a series of rules considered to be important. These were considered to be important for the maintenance of a Christian life. And you dare not infringe on any of these. But the new life promised in Christ is far deeper. It's far more meaningful than any of these external behaviours. When Paul talks about identifying with Christ in his death, he's referring to a spiritual principle, of course. A spiritual principle which says, we live... Because we die. It's a paradox. It's an apparent contradiction. It's not the teaching or the belief of the world. You won't get that in a glossy magazine somewhere. You won't get that on a, on a popular variety program. But it's the same principle in which, that also says we gain because we lose. And of course, these are the words of our Lord Jesus Christ who uh, in Mark's Gospel, chapter 8, verses 34 and 35, Jesus called the crowd and his disciples to him. He said, if any of you want to come after me, you must forget yourself, 
carry the cross and follow me. For if you want to save your own life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for me and for the gospel, you will save it. Do you gain anything if you win the whole world but lose your, your, your own soul? I mean, this is, this is fundamental to the, to the discipleship Jesus calls us to. We need to surrender ourselves by faith. Uh, to embrace his teaching, to allow this sort of thinking to become a part of who we are. It's, it's surrendering, it's death to self. Now guys, that's conversion. That's when we say, dear God, thank you for what Jesus has done. Thank you for his life. Thank you for his death. Thank you for his resurrection. Thank you for his living presence in the world today. I, through no worthiness of my own, I want to embrace that. I want to take that into my inner being. I want him to start making changes. In that act of surrender, we are trusting that he will establish new desires, new priorities, new values, new standards. It doesn't happen overnight for most people, but it does happen. It does start to happen. It's part of the, pro the Christian progress and, and, and our move to Christian maturity. Our life begins to change, not out of a sense of duty or obligation, but in response. In response to the love, the grace, the compassion shown to us by Jesus. I mean, best way I can put it, based on what Paul is saying, is we live visibly in the flesh. We live invisibly by the faith. Our visible, external appearance or behaviour is not necessarily what distinguishes us from others. There are a lot of very good people out there. A lot of very morally, ethically upright people. That's not the point of distinction. No, any goodness people may see in us, any acts of love and kindness and compassion and reconciliation, mercy, which we may express, they are the result of what's happening within us. The work of the Holy Spirit his teaching, his renewing, his guiding, his transforming. It's our invisible life in Christ. And it manifests itself in those kind of behaviours. I think Paul puts it beautifully in his second letter to the Corinthians, another church with which he had some real struggles. Chapter 4, verses 16 to 18, look at this. He says, For this reason we never become discouraged. Even though our physical being is gradually decaying, our spiritual being the inner life, is being renewed day after day. And this small and temporary trouble we suffer will bring us tremendous, uh, will bring us a tremendous and eternal glory, much greater than the trouble. For we fix our attention not on things that are seen, but on things that are unseen. What can be seen lasts only for a time. What cannot be seen lasts forever. Visible life, that's one thing. But uh, our internal life, our life in the Spirit, with what the Holy Spirit is doing within us, that's the point of distinction for the Christian. Guys, I, um, I had a certain ending that I was going to give to this message that I'd sort of kind of planned through the week. But um, something that happened with us on Friday night changed all of that. Uh, as Sam mentioned and Sarah mentioned in the first service, the ministry team, we went up in my car up to Bathurst, to partner, to begin the process of partnering with the Baptist Church of Christ that are ministering in their area to some Aboriginal young people. And it was a very interesting night. I'm still processing a lot of what happened, to be honest. It was just absolutely fascinating, confronting, exciting, inspirational, 
scary, all those things in one. And part of our role is just to move around and meet the people involved. Now, this is a Friday night, youth night, right? And I met this lady here. I said, I want to take a picture of you because I want to remember your smile. Is that there, uh, Carter? Right there. Okay, now I'm not going to give that lady's real name because uh, somebody may know her. She's lived 70 of her 77 years in Bathurst, right? We'll call her Flo. She looks like a Flo, doesn't she? Uh, <laughs> I got talking to Flo, right? And I asked the obvious question. I said, what is a 77-year-old lady doing here on a Friday night with all this noise and with all these kids running everywhere? It was about 30, I guess, that night at the youth thing. And uh, that was our point of, of, of there was it was just it was a 14 year old um, mother over there with a little baby and, and this lady had given a lot of attention and a lot of care to that to that young girl, so there was some interesting scenes you know it's just fascinating. And she said, well you know I'm here because I know the sort of life some of these kids have. She said there's some um, there's some shocking stories here some stories of abuse and alcoholism and violence and that. She said, I, I know what that's like because that's my background. That's my story. And she started to tell, she said, look, I, I, I said, are you still living in the same home? That she, my, the home I grew up in, she said, that's hell. It's on the other side of town. That's hell. And she started to tell about the kind of abuse that she had experienced. And she said to me, this is what really struck me. She said, um, all my life during my childhood, and my adolescent years, for as long as I can remember, I was told every day exactly what I was by my father. And she used the term, which I, for obvious reasons, can't repeat here. And she said, that's all I remember my father really saying to me, apart from a couple of moments maybe when there was something different. So, like, I'm thinking, whoa. I said, look, look, as a parent, as a grandparent, I know how important it is to give positive affirmations to your children. I said, you know, like, how do you survive that sort of upbringing? How, do, how can I explain you, Flo, and who you are right now? And she, without even missing a beat, she said, oh, that's the grace of God. She said, that's the grace of God. She said, because I reached a point in my life, thank, thankfully for a, thankful to a godly mother, she said, I started to realise just how valuable I am to God. There's nothing I've done or nothing I am. She said, but that's his grace. She said, I am here today because of his grace. And I'm thinking, hang on, I'm preaching on grace. And I've got all the theory and I've got all the, all the research, but like here's an example right before my very eyes. And look, I could call on stacks of you, of course, but that's a bit embarrassing because, you know, but, but to use somebody I met on Friday night. So here's a lady. Why is she there with these kids on a Friday night? Because she knows where she's come from by the grace of God. And at 77, she wants to be there to make sure she does as, as much as she can in God's strength to ensure some of these kids don't go down uh, the pathway she could have gone down. She told me about a, a, you know, a breakdowns over the years. It wasn't a pretty story at all. But she said, I'm here tonight because of God's grace. Guys, that's it. I, like Your story, what, what is your, I mean, what, what's the link between you and God's grace? Are you celebrating that every day? Are you thanking him? It's not about you. It's nothing that any of us could do or have done. It's all about because he says you are valuable. I love you as you are. I love you too much to just leave you as you are. I'm going to make you and shape you into the person that I know you can become. In her case, a person who's giving back even at 77. Just let me. Just surrender yourself to me. And in losing, you will gain 
in dying, you will live. That's grace.